0: Church, he is risen. He is risen that was great. <laughs> Good job. It is wonderful to be with you all this Easter morning. If you are new to NPNAS, we are currently going through a pastoral transition, so we don't have a lead pastor right now. And with me being an associate pastor, I honestly never expected to be preaching on Easter this early in my ministry career, if ever, but it truly is a blessing to be able to bring the Easter sermon to you all. So let's jump right into it. Let's read the resurrection story together. We'll be in John chapter 20 this morning, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And I know that you've been standing a while for the music, but would you stand with me one more time for the hearing of God's word? Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the tomb had been rolled away from the entrance, the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought that he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, "Rabbi," which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them this, his message. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word, the resurrection story, and that you're with us today. May this message be of you and we give you all the glory and the honor and the power. We love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. While I have never preached an Easter sermon before, I have preached the message at three different Christmas Eve services. (laughs) I won't give you too much of a Christmas message, but there is one here. And there's a similar sensation when preparing for these kinds of services. You know exactly what the scripture is going to be and the general direction of the sermon's theme. But it's easy to get stuck in that place and try to get too cute with the message. As a sports fan, I know how disastrous cute things can be. Whether it's in soccer and you take one too many dribbles in the 18-yard box. In tennis, you go for the smash hit instead of the gimme finesse shot. Or if you're on the goal line in the Super Bowl and Marshawn Lynch is in the backfield and you throw a pass play. When you complicate things, things seem to turn into a disaster. So in the month... Or so leading up to this Sunday, when I prayed and thought about what I would be sharing, God kept on placing these two classic preacher-pastor words on my heart. And interestingly enough, they were said in my head over and over again in my dad's voice. So thank you, dad, for the subconscious help. And these two words were simply, preach Jesus. Its always a good thing to do, right So that's what we're going to do this morning. Nothing complicated or cute. The one goal of this sermon is to answer the question: Who is Jesus? Obviously, no one sermon is ever going to fully cover that kind of topic. John even ends his gospel by writing, "Jesus also did many other things." If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would have been written. So you can go ahead and cancel your family plans later today. We've got a lot to go through. All right, I heard laughter, but no amens. So good job with that. You all passed that test. I want to start with what is practically a poem to see if any of these descriptions of Jesus resonate with you. Who has watched Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ? By a show of hands. Yeah, a lot of you. It was a cultural phenomenon, both inside and outside of religious circles. And in response to the film, several of Christian music's top artists all came together. It was Third Day, Mercy Me, and Stephen Curtis Chapman. They all came together to write the song called I See Love. And it talks about how people view Jesus in different ways, They wrote, some see a teacher standing on a hill speaking words of wisdom. Some see a healer reaching out a hand to give sight to a blind man. Some see a dreamer wasting his life on what can never be. Some see a fool dying for his dreams. Some see a prisoner alone before his judge with no one to defend him. Some see a victim beaten and abused with all the world against him. Some see a martyr carrying his cross for what he believes. And some see a hero who will set his people free. With your last breath, I see love. Through your death, I see love. I see peace in the eyes of a king. I see hope in your suffering. I see a calm in the center of the storm. I see a savior. I see love, light of heaven breaking through. I see grace. I see God's face shining pure and perfect love. When I see you I see love and the song ends with the line some see him walking from an empty grave I hope at least one of those lines stood out to you and I think it well represents how vastly different answers we would get if we surveyed everyone with the question who is Jesus If you're someone who likes to take sermon notes or is interested in the sermon outline, in true Wesleyan style this morning, we're going to break down our question into four primary areas—reason, tradition, scripture, and experience. When considering who is Jesus in the realm of reason, I kept coming back to Pastor Mark's Easter sermon from last year, and leading up to his, The King Has One More Move— Concluding point. He talked about how it's been proven time and time again that there was, in fact, a Jesus of Nazareth who did walk this earth in first century Galilee. There are enough historical accounts between both of those who support his messages and those who are against them to essentially declare that Jesus did exist. Personally, I'm not very well-versed in those types of arguments that we call apologetics, but I at least know that, it, that simply his existence is easily positively argued. From there, it gets a little bit trickier, though. Acknowledging that Jesus was a real person, I have often heard it taught and preached that you can view him in three different ways. First and foremost, you can view him as the one true Son of God, that everything he said and did was true. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. You can believe that all of this is true and that the Bible accurately describes who the Lord and Savior of the world was, is, and always will be. Of course, this is the option that I hope you choose to believe, but it isn't the only option. A second option is to believe that Jesus is the greatest scam artist of all time, that he somehow was able to twist the Jewish faith into a powerful cultural and political force lasting over 2,000 years. Whether the miracles were silly magic tricks or just fabricated lies, none of the stories like Jesus' walking on water, the feeding of the 5,000, or countless medical miracles actually happened. And once the printing press was invented, this scam has led to the creation of roughly 7 billion copies of a bald-faced lie, not counting all of the contemporary digital downloads. You might be fully in this camp that Jesus was a deceitful scammer. Our third and final option of how you describe Jesus is that he was a fool. Now, fools can have sincere hearts. So in this option, Jesus of Nazareth might have truly been the best human who has ever walked this earth. His morality and possible good deeds are irrelevant to his foolishness, because all of his proclamations of him being the one true son of God who would bring about the kingdom of heaven are simply lunacy as part of his foolishness. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of where you fit into these three categories this morning, but I do tend to agree with the idea that these are the three options practically, even if you bounce back and forth them between the day. Jesus was either right about everything he said he is, he was a scam artist, or he was a fool. You know, throughout history, Christians have been called foolish for our faith. And Jesus from the very beginning. N. T. Wright and his book The Day the Revolution Began includes a cartoon that can be dated back to some point in the first three centuries. This cartoon is nothing like the fun Peanuts or Born Loser. Rather, it's definitely on the edgier side of political cartoons. It has the inscription that translates to Alex Amenos Worships His God. The picture on the right is the actual drawing, and the one on the left is the clearer portrayal of it. It depicts a man worshiping his donkey headed God who is hanging on the cross. As a side note, the donkey head isn't quite as demeaning for those who know the Palm Sunday story. But what the artist is conveying here is pretty clear. Anyone who worships a crucified figure is a fool, worthy of a cartoon. Why worship a defeated man when you could worship mythological and phenomenal heroes like Zeus and Hercules? Because they're the ones who can truly go the distance. (laughs) Some of you got that. There we go. More seriously, the cross wasn't meant to simply kill. There were easier, more cost-effective ways to do that. The cross was meant to totally humiliate and dehumanize all rebels to deter anyone from rising up against the Roman Empire. Jesus was publicly flogged, he had to carry his own cross past onlookers, and then he was fastened naked to the cross, completely broken and exposed to the world. To think that anyone would worship this kind of man is absurd if the resurrection didn't happen. And T. Wright puts it this way. How easy it would have been for the early Christians to tone down the fact of the cross, to highlight instead the life-giving force of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. How sensible it might have been to draw a discreet veil over the manner of Jesus' death that preceded the sudden new life. In the face of the sensible option, Paul and the other writers of the New Testament speak of Jesus' death on the cross over and over again. They don't shy away from Jesus' horrendous, excruciating death because in light of the resurrection, his death is no longer foolish or needing of a cover-up. Rather, it shows a sacrificial love that knows no bounds. Without getting too ahead of myself, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. We go all in on this one point, because if it is true, then it affirms all that Jesus said he was and will always be. I learned at the all-church game night that we have a lot of euchre players here at the church. So Jesus being raised from the dead, exactly how we predicted would happen, is the ultimate trump card. The Nazarene scholar, Michael Lodal, puts it this way. If Jesus' life and ministry ended upon the cross, then it would have seemed Jesus' message ended there too. But God's resurrection of the Son validates Jesus' proclamation of a loving and forgiving God. If indeed Jesus has been resurrected to divine glory, then everything he said and did during his earthly ministry is divinely validated. The God who is faithful to the tortured Jew on Calvary has thereby offered evidence of everlasting faithfulness to all humanity. Who this Jesus is, though, has been interpreted in crazily different ways across the centuries. In his name, wars have been raged and nonviolence has been promoted. Life has been taken and life has been saved. Free-thinking conversations have occurred and bones of people who thought differently that have already been buried Or dug back up just to be burned. It is insane to see how differently the name of Jesus has been used across time. So I would argue that trying to answer the question, who is Jesus, in the context of tradition, is virtually impossible. The contrasting answers are just too far apart. But we are very grateful that the Bible has been preserved. Now, changes have been made by scribes, and we don't have any of the original manuscripts. No Bible is going to be perfect, especially as it's been translated into our modern-day languages, but it's still a miracle of the Holy Spirit that the Bible that we do have today has been preserved. It's in this Bible where we learn who Jesus truly is, so let's start looking at who is Jesus according to Scripture, by beginning where John starts. He begins his gospel, within the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. He later makes it abundantly clear that the word that he is talking about is Jesus. And he's using the Greek philosophy when he's talking about the word here that we aren't going to dive into this morning, but it would connect well with his original audience. Anyway, according to scripture, one, Jesus has been alive since the very beginning, and two... Jesus is God. In a simplified yet overarching summary of Scripture, God created everything and blessed humanity to bear the image of God to the world. Humans failed, and sin entered the world, bringing along death and destruction. God knew that without divine help, humans would always continue to worship the created over the creator which is what we call idolatry. So God blessed a man named Abraham who'd become father of the Jewish people so that way they could be a blessing to all other people. They continuously fell short of being a blessing because while they had a sacrificial system to absolve them from wrongdoing, sin still had a death grip on the world. Blessing a single family, giving the Ten Commandments, and the sacrificial system. Those were all just foretastes of God's plan to redeem all of creation and allow humans to bear the image of God. This is where the famous John three sixteen enters the picture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sends Jesus into the world who takes on flesh and dwells among us, fulfilling all the law and the prophets who preceded his earthly ministry. John 1 puts it this way For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When deciding to write his gospel, John starts at the very beginning because Jesus' story did not begin with Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. Rather, Jesus has been alive and active in the world since before time began. Once he stepped out of heaven and became human while remaining fully God, well, that's when Scripture paints the clearest picture of who Jesus is. The Son of God isn't born into a wealthy, powerful family. He's born amongst animals to a Jewish virgin and her carpenter fiance. He grows up in a town of no political influence, and when it comes time to begin his earthly ministry, he chooses a bunch of fishermen and other outcasts to be his closest followers and friends. It's during that time that he performs the miracles you all know about, the miraculous healings, the feedings, the walking on water, and so on. And through all of them, he's constantly redefining what the Jewish scriptures mean, all while proclaiming that God's kingdom is near. Political leaders and other people of influence do hear about Jesus, and he has a few interactions with them. They're also the ones who plot to kill him. But Jesus is constantly spending time with the outcasts. He intentionally meets with the Samaritan woman at the well that Pastor Miranda preached on a few weeks ago. He went to a pool that was surrounded with disabled people so he could heal one nameless man. On the night of his arrest, he even washes his friend's dirty feet. He does all of these things, including being nailed to the cross while remaining God. During all of these humbling circumstances, he never forsakes his identity of God like it was a hat that could simply be taken on and off depending on the situation. When he was crying in the manger in the Christmas time scene, Jesus was God. When he was at the wedding feast, Jesus was God. When his feet were being wiped with perfume and hair, he was God. And when he was washing first century men's feet, that person was God. And why is this so important? Because God, the almighty creator God, came down to heaven, from heaven, to redeem us. To redeem you from sin. Who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just a Christmas message. And while we can't physically see him today, our Emmanuel is still God with us. He is alive and well, and he sees you and hears every prayer. While we have been going through our Linton series entitled Water for the Way, I have heard many jokes about how we haven't been talking about water. Out of the six sermons that preceded Easter, Miranda's sermon on the woman at the well is the only one that is water-related. And if you've been reading the daily devotionals, which have been fantastic, and I hope you have been, they haven't talked about water either. My first response to the jokes is simply, we weren't the ones who named it. The book, the sermon series, that all came from the Nazarene Publishing House. But my more heartfelt and loving answer to you all about those is it's a metaphor, people. (laughs) Take it as it is. Have you ever been desperate For water. I'm not talking about your average thirst or being impatient with the waiter when the refills aren't coming quick enough, but true desperation for water. Seven years ago, when I was a junior at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, I had the amazing privilege to study abroad for a semester in Costa Rica. It was absolutely incredible, and I would encourage any college-age student to study abroad. Twice on this trip, however, I was reminded of humanity's deep need for water personally. The first time was on a strenuous hike that a few of us way underestimated. It was a pretty big hike, and my friend and I, brought a water bottle each and two donuts. <laughs> it was a tough one. That's a story for another time. But the second time, my body was desperately crying out for clean water. The day before was spent on a beach. It's absolutely beautiful and honestly that day was probably my favorite day of the semester. But on that day, I'd consumed an icy from a local vendor. Little did I know that that ice was contaminated, and I soon came down with E. coli and neurovirus. Starting in the middle of soccer practice the next day, my body purged every ounce of water out of me. And to help, I was told at the hospital that, and I. You nurses and everyone medical can correct me later. But I was told that my white blood cells, when you get dehydrated, are supposed to do something. Well, they're doing the exact opposite of that. So that was hurting the situation. You guys can correct me. I just, that's what I remember. But stepping out of the soccer practice, I found a patch of grass and I laid there shaking absolutely and uncontrollably. It was something I had never experienced before. While I was in that state, my friends were taking off their clothes and trying to cover me with whatever they could, while others tried to find a ride. None of us drove in Costa Rica. None of us had a car or a license or anything like that. I'll fast forward a couple hours for the sake of time. There were definitely some things that happened there. But when I finally made it to the hospital, I couldn't open my eyes. I could barely talk, and my hands were completely paralyzed like this. In my murmurings, I was begging the Spanish speaking doctors for ice because I so desperately needed water on my tongue. To me, I felt like I was screaming out, cubiertos de alo porfa, alo porfa, alo. But to them in my state, I'm sure, what I thought was screaming was just a gringo's whisper. I don't know whether each and every one of you has hit rock bottom like this or not. But I think it's safe to say that most people here have. It may not be in a medical sense. But at some point in your life's journey, you've hit rock bottom. This series has been called Water for the Way because our Jesus the Emmanuel God with us is the life-giving fountain our souls so longingly quench for along our journey. And I promise you that Jesus lives up to his self-proclamation that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's a song by my favorite songwriter that says this, I know the pain of a heartbreak. This isn't easy, this isn't clear, and you don't need Jesus till you're here. As you think about your own rock bottom, you might have cried out to God, cried out to Jesus, begging for help, and I pray that you have remained the course of walking with Jesus since then. It's during those times of desperation when most of us try to lean into the divine source of life, even if we don't quite know who that is yet. Jesus will meet you in those moments. But Jesus, the true Emmanuel, is not just water for the way in the face of extreme dehydration. He is water for the entire way. He's the giver of peace and light along every single step of the journey if you would just simply open up your heart and life to him. I fully understand that I can preach endlessly about who my Jesus is, but that's not going to change your mind until you open up to that strange warming in your heart that's so longs for something that's beyond this world. Forget about trying to be good enough first before you try the Jesus thing. Embrace that God loved us long before we knew him. Forget trying to understand every nook and cranny of theology and instead celebrate the revolution where love crossed heaven and earth To get to you. The powers defeated at the cross are still capable of enslaving millions today. And I am sure that they enslave many people who know a whole awful lot about Jesus. But those powers, they serve a fallen master. Jesus invites you to break away from sin's death grip this morning and believe in the risen Christ You don't have to make the process too complicated or cute. Romans 10, 9 through 10, simply says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Taking the first step In the Christian walk is that simple? You might think that you have Jesus all figured out based on the way other Christians have acted or treated you. But Jesus' question at the end of our scripture this morning is for us all too. Before Mary, in all of her distress, recognizes Jesus, he asks her, Who are you looking for? We all have expectations of who Jesus is and should be. Whether you think Jesus is the Son of God, a scammer, or a fool, we, like Mary, have expectations. She came to the tomb expecting there to be a corpse lying there. But when he called her name, all knowledge that she thought she had, all expect- expectations of where to find him, They were shattered because she was personally known by the God who defeated death, hell, and the grave. Her fear, her hopelessness, her dismay, none of that disqualified her from being the very first person to ever proclaim the message of the risen Savior. And nothing in your past disqualifies you either from his love. Jesus is the risen Lord and Savior, and he loves you more deeply than words can express. If you have not already, would you let him be the water for your way? Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we come before you humbled. We come before you knowing that we simply are not good enough. (laughs) We can't even go grocery shopping without messing up, let alone cross the mountain of sin. So God, I pray that you be made known to each and every one of us. God, I thank you for being my savior. And I pray that everyone here would fall deeply in love with him too. God, I know there's people here today that have hit rock bottom, and they've never taken this initial step. May they experience the fountain of life for the first time that is found in you. God, I know that there are people that simply just need an ounce of water. They're doing great in the journey, but they just need another drink of you. God, would you fill them too and fill everybody in between those two extremes. God, you are so good to us I thank you for the absolute privilege it has been to get to share who my savior is and God we give this time to you as we sing as we pray these lyrics and this celebration God would you stir in the heart of everyone here may we all leave this place looking more like you than we did when we came here God, we love you. Amen. As mentioned before by Pastor Matt, the altars are always open. The band is going to sing a song called Homecoming that for me has been the song that paints the clearest picture of heaven that I've ever heard. If you would like to take that step and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I promise you that he will meet you there and I encourage you to come to one of these altars where we can pray with you. If you just need to come and pray and receive encouragement from God, you can do that too. Before we sing, I also want to invite those who we get to celebrate in baptism this morning. You guys can go ahead and head downstairs and get changed. And then we'll do our baptisms after this song. So God, be the glory. Let us sing together.